Well, in case you weren't with us last week or have not yet listened to last week's message online at AbundantLifeChapel.ca, we're on week two of our series, Body Builders. And uh, as an important as it is to care for our own bodies, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, just going to move this back. Otherwise, I'm going to knock it over later because I get a little excited when I preach. So not only is it good to care for our bodies, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, it's also imperative to care for each other in the body of Christ, which is the church. And each of us here at Abundant Life Chapel is a part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is not limited to any church or denomination. You know, it's, it's every church and every denomination that professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to the world and believes that he is the one and true Son of God and teaches all of God's Word, the Bible. They are part of the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in around 55 AD in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He wrote this to the Corinthian church. The human body has many parts. But many parts make up one body, so it is with the body of Christ. The body here at Abundant Life is made up of many parts. It's made up of all of us. And in order for this body to operate effectively, to tell people about Jesus and help people grow in their relationship, a committed relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to work together. We need to work together. Each one of you is needed And uh, regardless of how insignificant you may think that your role is here, either in this church or, or anywhere else, but simply put, we're better together. We are better together. Though we are many, we are one. And today I want to talk about Uh, another bodybuilder. Last week we shared uh, on a statement what was that Jesus had made that we are members of one another. Today I want to talk about one of the greatest commandments, the greatest commandment that that Jesus had given and, and is really the greatest commandment of all, and that is to love one another. In fact, that's the title of our, our message today is Love One Another. That's our bodybuilder today is Love One Another. Love is the most precious commodity that any of us has, and it's the greatest gift that we can give or receive. And, uh, it, you know, it's more than just an intimate feeling that we share because and, and, and stuff. It's more than that, right? And, and after all, you know, the whole, the, the song, I don't know if you remember it, it says, love makes the world go round. But why is love such a big deal, right? Why is love so important? Like, what's love got to do with it anyways? Well, love be, is, is rooted in the very nature of God. It's very, it's, it's in the very fiber of his being. He loves and he is love. John, first century follower of Jesus, wrote a letter to several churches, several Gentile churches around 85 to 90 AD, and he wrote that God is love. God is love. It's not that God loves, but God is love. And you can find references like that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and verse 16. Jesus, while speaking to the crowds in Jerusalem, Uh, was approached by some religious leaders, and they were called Pharisees. They were religious law keepers, and uh, and that. And so they came up to him, and and this is what what was recorded in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. 
which is the most important command in the law of Moses. Now, these Pharisees knew that there were like 613 laws, all right? And they were trying to trip Jesus up and saying, okay, so what's the most important? Come on, big guy, let's, let's hear it, let's hear it, right? To which Jesus replied in verse 37, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he knew that they knew this because that very verse was found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is known as the Torah, right? And it's right there, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. So that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And then in verse 38, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But Jesus doesn't let it hang there. How do we know? Like, we know that sometimes Jesus will, they'll, somebody will ask Jesus a question, and he knows they have an agenda. But he's like, okay, well, I'm going to just give you more than what you wanted, right? You might have asked for this, but I'm going to give you the whole enchilada. And so Jesus, he also adds a command that is also given in Leviticus, which is also found in the Torah, Leviticus 19, verse 18. And he says this in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 22. He says this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes a powerful statement. And this, I mean, they're thinking, oh goodness, we've got nothing on them. And, and now Jesus is going to make this big profound statement that is going to just absolutely floor everybody. And it's floored everyone for centuries thereafter. It says this in verse 40, the entire law, not a portion, not a snippet, not a piece of it, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. They're based on these two commandments. In the Old Testament, there are 613 laws, like I said. And, and, and the Pharisees knew this, right? And they were trying to trip Jesus up. But Jesus, in the New Testament, sums up the entire law, all of it, with these two commandments. Two important commandments that if we'll love God and we'll love others, we're fulfilling God's purpose in our lives here on earth. But, but then, while having supper one night, when Jesus was with his 12 disciples, and we would know that that supper was going to be known as his last supper, right? Because that was just before he was incarcerated and he was crucified and then buried and then rose again, right? This was the last supper. And, and, and so we're going to read what he said to his disciples that very night in John chapter 13, verse 34. And would you say it with me together? It's up on the screen here. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The Apostle Paul reiterated the importance of love when he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. And we know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to be the love chapter, right? And this is what he says. He says, if I could speak in all the tongues of earth and of angels... But, I didn't, or, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't, have lo or didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I will have gained nothing. Listen, 
I tell you, they're, they're, people are trying to earn a ticket into heaven, trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn God's love, trying to earn things from God by trying to do everything in here. And the problem is, is that sometimes we get caught up on the rules and the regulations and on the, on the do's and the shall nots, and, and what we forget is the whole purpose of why. Why do we do this? And, and so what happens is there be, some people become such law abiders that they've forgotten all about love, completely forgotten all, all about it. And they're more concerned about the rules and regulations and following this to the very T, but they forget, well, we're supposed to love God. And so abiding by what God says in his word should be enjoyable. Why? It should be an I want to instead of I have to. I get to instead of you should, right? See, what I find interesting of the 17, 17 of the 58 one another commands found in the Bible are for God's people to love one another. That's one third of the one another uh, commands that are given in the scripture. Oh, one third, one third committed to love. Love one another, right? So with this in mind, I think it's fair to say that love should be the underlying foundation in all we do as followers of Jesus Christ. And with our time remaining, I would like to break down John chapter 13, verse 34 into two parts. And then I'm going to give you some adjectives of love here as well. And so number one uh, is a precept to obey. And so John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, love one another. Now, up until this point in his ministry, Jesus had taught his disciples to love God with all their being, to love their neighbors as themselves, and then to love their enemies. But this is the first time Jesus had given his disciples a command to love one another. This is the first time he told them to love one another. Up until this point, it was to love everybody else, but now it's to love one one another which truly makes this a brand new command why is this commandment needed when god's people already had the commands to love their neighbor as themselves well if you take a little bit a, a, a look closer at the jewish political social and religious life in the first century you'd find that it was not a whole lot of loving going on all right politically they weren't loving their enemies their greatest enemy at the time was the roman empire now understandably romans were not too kind to jews they weren't they treated the jews inferior to themselves and they treated them like slaves and servants and they would overtax them and they would persecute them and and if they tried to stand up for their rights maybe do a, a peaceful protest on a railway or or on a on a roadway or or something like that you know <laughs> They wouldn't just get like their, 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 their blockades torn down. They'd get put on a cross and hung on a major roadway, maybe along the Trans-Canada, and say, there, this is what happens to all you protesters, right? So that's what they would do. They would, they would do that. They would, they would, so they treated Jews less than human. Well, so you can understand why the Jews didn't have much love. For, for, for the Romans. So politically, there was no loving going on. Socially, they didn't love their neighbors as themselves. Now, interesting how when we get mistreated from others, we tend to pass that mistreatment on to others. 
See, just as they were mistreated by the Romans, they mistreated Samaritans. And what were Samaritans? Well, they were half-Jews. They were half-Jews. They were half-breeds, if you would. They'd have Jewish blood, but they weren't fully Jews. They had, you know, uh, Greek blood or whatever, you know. So they, 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 they were not part of the, 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 the pure line of Jews. So socially, they did not love these Samaritans, and they treated them as less than uh, human. They, they treated them as a lower class. I mean, we don't experience that in Canada at all, do we? And everybody laughs, right? Religiously, the people were divided between Pharisees and Sadducees. And had there been, uh, and, and there was even, there was even a, a, a little bit of a disagreement over uh, who you got taught by, there, were, there, was, there was even a, a divide between those that were taught by Rabbi Halal and, and then Rabbi Shammai, right? And, and so there was this great divide over practices and issues, right? So against Pharisees and Sadducees, I mean, I remember an old little song that, you know, Pharisees weren't very fair, you see, and Sadducees weren't very, they, they were always sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in life after death, and so it, existence would be pretty sad, and so they were kind of always kind of bickering, but it was funny how when Jesus comes along, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, right? And so they kind of grouped together. But, but it's interesting because they, they had a lot of, lot of mixed up ideas. And, and so they were, they, there, was a, there was debates on how much effort could be expent, you know, how much effort could you expend to get your ox out of a ditch on the Sabbath? And then another one was or how many paces you could walk on the Sabbath without it being considered work. Oh boy. Simply put, they didn't have much love for one another. Jesus knew that very shortly the church would be birthed. So he calls his disciples back to the basics because if we cannot love one another, then we certainly can't love God, nor our neighbors, or foreigners, or our enemies for that matter, as we should. And as the church, if we don't love one another within our church bodies, right, we can forget about sharing the Christ's love and sharing the gospel with those that are outside of the body, outside these four walls, right? You know, I, 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 it irks me when I read online of Christians calling down other Christians. Listen, just because we don't agree on certain matters Listen, the outside world is looking at us and they see one family. They see one title. They don't care if you, what de denomination you come from or, or what church you come from or what your, your different uh, statement of fundamental and essential truths are. They don't care about all that. What they care about is they're seeing one Christian calling out another Christian and they're thinking, I don't want to be a part of that. They don't want to be a part of that. And it irks me when I'm seeing this happen online on social media because everybody has a platform on social media. I mean, everybody can be a hero behind a screen and be a protester and an activist behind a screen. But come on, people. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. And everything that we do, everything that we exploit on social media gets interpreted by the outside world. And what are they seeing about us? Are they seeing love for one another? But I tell you, if we don't have love for one another, our message is going to fall flat. It really is going to fall flat. See, we're called to be a family, the family of God. 
But if we're dysfunctional and lack in love for one another, then why would anyone, anyone want to join this family? So let's love one another and give our community something positive to talk about. Number one, Jesus gives us a precept to obey. Number two, he gives us a pattern to follow. He gives us a pattern to follow. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now the word as in the Greek is an adverb really, and it's Kathos, it's pronounced kathos, which trans, uh, when, when translated means in proportion as or in the degree that. Jesus is saying this, in proportion as, in the degree that, I have loved you, you must love one another the same. Now, as parents, all right, we're, when we're teaching our children, when we're teaching our children lessons, right, we need to, life lessons, we model them by example, Right? We model them by example. For instance, tying a shoe. Right? We got one little bunny over here and another little bunny here, and we wrap them together, and bing, they got two ears. One bunny, two ears. Right? Little bunnies. Or we have one little bunny here, and the other bunny hops around. The one little bunny goes through the loop, and then you tie it and make another loop, and boom, there you go. I tried to spare my mother the pains of trying to teach me how to uh, do up my shoes, my shoelaces. So I said, Mom, I think we can do this really simple. Just buy me a pair of Velcro shoes. <laughs> and isn't that true? We start off young with Velcro shoes and then we end off our lives with Velcro shoes. <laughs> I mean, I like loafers. They kind of slip on. But, <laughs> but I'm sure you've heard this phrase, monkey see, monkey do. Well, one of our little monkey, or our children are our little monkeys and they're learning by seeing what we do whether we like it or not <laughs> jesus is telling us i have shown you how to love now you love one another the way i've loved you when analyzing the love of jesus there are three adjectives that stand out describing it number one undeniable his love is undeniable now people would debate and still debate to this day whether jesus actually worked miracles by the power of God, or whether it was by the power of Beelzebub or some other kind of spells. Beelzebub is another fancy name for devil in the, in the Jewish language. And, and, and then there would be a debate on whether or not he broke the Sabbath by healing people or, or working miracles on the Sabbath, right? You can tell the Pharisees, the Sadducees would argue that. And, and then they would, they would debate on, on whether or not he was the reincarnation of maybe John the Baptist or Elijah or any other of the Old Testament prophets. But one thing one thing about Jesus that was undeniable and non-debatable was his love for people his love for people Jesus when he went to the tomb of Lazarus wept it's the shortest verse my favorite piece of scripture to memorize so easy Jesus wept John eleven thirty five. 35 whenever we had to memorize scripture while growing up I said I pick a John eleven thirty five. but sometimes I got a little bit mixed up. I thought it was 3511, but there is no John 3511. It was 1135. And anyways, the crowd said of Jesus, they said, see how much he loved him because he wept. In Mark uh, 1 verse 40, a man with leprosy, a horrific infectious disease. I mean, people that had leprosy back then, I mean, they were, they had to go and, and out of the town limits and, and, and be a 
exiled from town and and they they had like uh uh infectious sores all over their body and and there was a misunderstanding of what leprosy was and how it was contracted but they they just felt that you know let's just get that disease out of here and so many of those people they 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 lived alone or maybe they colonized with other lepers but but the fact of the matter is it was attacking their nervous system which mean they couldn't feel pain some of us think heaven would be not with without pain well a, a person with leper would say well that's hell actually not being able to feel pain because they wouldn't feel pain in their fingertips. So they would touch hot things and their fingers, they wouldn't feel it and their fingers would literally get disintegrated, right? Or they, they'd have leprosy in their feet and they wouldn't feel that they're, you know, like we would with shoes that are too tight and getting sores and, and stuff like that. Or, you know, I heard one story of, of, a, of a place that they were doing studies on leprosy, uh, uh, within this century and, and uh, uh, patients were in this, these beds and they were losing limbs at night and they didn't know why and they were, it was, they were doing this research that found out that rats were coming in and chewing their, 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 their fingers off in the middle of the night. It's just gross. Anyways, leprosy was a horrific disease. They didn't feel things and nobody would touch them or have anything to do with them. Leper comes before Jesus. He says, heal me. Heal me. Begs to be healed. And Jesus, you know, let me ask you. Wouldn't you say, be healed, and then touch the person? Right? Before, before you know, somebody had the coronavirus. Right? You'd pray for them, be healed, but I won't touch you until I know that you're healed. Right? Jesus touched him before he was healed. He reached out for this man before he even said the words be healed that's love that's love right and 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 then there was another guy named Jairus i don't know if you know about him in the bible but Jairus was a pharisee and and he was a man uh, uh, an upstanding man he was a pharisee and, and what we know of pharisees is pharisees didn't like jesus very much but Jairus had a daughter who who was dying and Jairus did everything medically possible for his daughter. But he knew, he knew deep in his heart that Jesus' miracles were real. And so he went to Jesus. That was his last resort. And he went and fell at the feet of Jesus. He says, would you come and heal my daughter? Jesus at that moment well, could have done anything. He could have said, oh, oh, so now you need me. Oh, so now you believe in my power. Oh, okay. Jesus had a platform to totally undress this man, and he didn't. In fact, he just said, oh, yeah, let's go. He stopped what he was doing. He says, hold it right there, guys. I'll come back and finish my points later. I'm going to go heal this, uh, this little girl. And on the way, he ends up healing another woman. And it's crazy, Right? Jesus' love is undeniable. And then, and then we, we, we think about the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And it's incredible because this story is so incredible. Some of the manuscripts, it doesn't have this story in it. Some of the early manuscripts won't have it in it because I think it's so offensive to the Jewish culture <laughs> because this is what happened. A, a, a woman that was caught in adultery, whatever happened to the man? I think it takes two to be caught in adultery. But anyways, they bring the woman because obviously she's the most evil out of them, right? Whatever, right? But uh, anyways, they bring her and throw her at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, according to the law of Moses, she needs to die. 
And Jesus says, you're right. She does. So you without sin cast the first stone. Cast the first stone. And I love the genius of that. Because I tell you, this is something we can learn from our elders, people. The elders dropped the stones first. <laughs> the elders dropped the stones first and walked away because they said, yeah, we haven't got a loop. Meanwhile, the young people are all trying to figure out a loophole of like, well, yeah, but what about, you know, they're trying to sort this out of what kind of loophole they can have to stone this woman. They got nothing. And they end up leaving. And, and Jesus asks, where's your accusers? And she says, they've all left. Now, Jesus should have, according to the law of Moses, put her to death. Had every right. He was the only sinless person there. But he did something else. He says, well, neither I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying this. Because sometimes we, we look at this verse and, and we, have a, we come to some different, maybe some different conclusions, but this is what he's doing here. He's removing the shame off of her. You are no longer defined by your sin. You are no longer have to live that way any longer. You are free. You are cleansed. Doesn't matter what happened just now. Everything matters of what happens next. And he says, go and sin no more. She walked away free. Undeniable love. Undeniable love. Right? Jesus showed his undeniable love in his teachings, in his miracles, in his healings, and his acts of service towards people. Could that be said of us? When people talk about us, do they talk about our genuine love for others? Regardless of whether we share the same opinions or preferences or disagree on different matters, or, or it could be said, you know, like, could it be said of us? Could it be said that does, does, regardless of all of those things, because to have unity doesn't mean that we all have to be robots with the same opinion. We can have varying opinions, but could it be said that what really forms us and really fibers us and, and fits us together is our love for one another? That our relationship goes deeper than our opinions, goes deeper than what our preferences are. Do we love one another? Does, could people see that genuine love? But listen, listen, our love must go deeper than any differences that we have. They have to. They have to. Whether what, no matter what we disagree upon, our disagreements should not affect the way we love and respect for one another. Love is a verb. It requires action. It requires action. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. As followers of Jesus, we're to love in this way on a daily basis. Love must be the foundation and the motivation of everything we do. Love for God and love for others and one another. A few years back, we had two families in our church that were in dire need of assistance, medical assistance, and uh, they had a couple of children that needed some help. And so our church banded together and said, hey, listen, we want to help you financially. And so we were able to help and intervene and, and, and help 
uh, provide some of the finances there. But but then there was others that, that 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 said, hey, listen, I don't have anything to give, but I'd like to give some practical needs. And and uh, last week I talked about the power of a casserole, and some of you guys expressed that the power of a casserole and brought that over to these families that were in need. Undeniable love expressed. Missionaries, when they come to our church, they share these amazing stories of what's happening in their, pre, in their part of the world, whether it's in Canada or whether it's in Winnipeg or, or whether it's in, in, in uh, other countries or, or wherever, right? They come and share these amazing stories and they share them with you and, and we're, we're excited about it because we're a part of it. And, and, and then what we do is we show our appreciation and by our generosity and giving financially and not only just giving financially but praying for them as well and and we give financially over and above our, our regular giving. That's undeniable love expressed. People hurting in our, uh, in, in our church and even outside the church, there are many of you that have stepped up and reached out. Undeniable love expressed. I remember there was a young single mom in our community approximately four years ago who died suddenly. And she left behind a precious son. It was really sad. And, and there was, I, I believe there was a service for her in Winnipeg, but there's a lot of people here in this community that knew her well and, and really loved her and, and really needed that kind of closure. So our church stepped up and said, okay, you know what? We're going to hold a service for this, uh, for this young woman who passed away suddenly. And, and, and you know what? We're not going to charge anything to the family. Why? Because this is what we do as a church. We love undeniably. Church, I want to tell you what happened because of that. Because of that, this little boy has continued on in our VBS program because his guardian believes that our church loves him undeniably. He comes here week after week to our kids' church because his, 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 his family guardian knows and feels our love, right? That's what happens when we love. People are, are drawn to that are drawn to that. So continue to love on people because our love, when it's, when it's expressed like that, is undeniable. There's no doubt about it that we love, right? And each day we get an opportunity when we meet people in the community to love undeniably. To love like Jesus, we too must love in such a way that we cannot be denied. By his clear teachings and actions, Jesus left no room to doubting his love, and neither should we. How can our love for one another be undeniable? When it's tangible. Now, biblical love is not this ooey-gooey romantic love, right? It's not like that. The Bible talks about it being action-oriented. And why do I say that? Because Jesus commands us to love, and you cannot command an emotion. You understand that? You cannot command an emotion. I can't say to you, I command you to be sad. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, sadness is an emotion that cannot be commanded to come or go at will. You either are sad or you're not. Now, you could do things to and think of things to not be sad, but you cannot command it by sheer force of your will. Yet Jesus does command us to love. Why? Because love is wrapped up in actions. It's in what we do. That's why he says in 1 John 3, 8, 18, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And so the only way for our love to be undeniable is, like Jesus' love, to manifest 
our love in concrete actions towards others. The question is, is are we willing to love one another undeniably? The second adjective is this. Jesus, Jesus' love is described as being unselfish. We too often love for selfish, selfish motives. If I'm a nice person, then I might, or if, if I'm nice to this person, then maybe I'll get something in return, right? It's kind of like the woman who wrote a message to her ex-boyfriend. And uh, she said, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I, I felt since our breaking of our engagement. Reclept. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. Please forgive me. Followed by several heart emojis. Oh, and by the way, congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> Gold digger, right? Jesus taught us to give, expecting nothing in return. He taught us to give without blowing a horn or even letting know what our right hand from what our left hand is doing, right? And Jesus practiced what he preached. The Apostle Paul sums up Jesus' ministry in Philippians chapter 2 by saying Jesus completely humbled himself by giving up uh, his divine privilege and taking on a position of a slave, of a servant. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every name, the, the one who's seated at the right hand of God. Yet Jesus put on or put all of that aside unselfishly and laid down his life so that we all may have life. And not just any kind of life, abundant life. The last adjective is this, unconditional. This may be the hardest way for any of us to imitate Christ. All too often we put conditions on our love, but when we look at Jesus, we see a picture of unconditional love. John 3.16, for God Loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Did the world love him in return? No. John 1.11. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. So did that stop God? Of course not. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus died on the cross for all humanity. Not for just the ones that would follow him. His love for humanity is unconditional. But hear me clearly. Eternal life has some conditions attached to it. All right? God's love is, not un is, is unconditional. But there are some conditions when it comes to eternal life. Right? We have to receive that love and choose to walk in that love daily. That's the condition. But for us, his love for all of us is unconditional. He gives it unconditionally. I hope that makes sense to you. Right? But what about our love? Is it conditional? A little girl once prayed. She said, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole wide world. There are only four people in our family, and I find it hard to love all of them all the time. <laughs> Loving people unconditionally is tough stuff, especially when it comes to those uh, that don't treat us so kindly. And so expressing love to those who are unloving is difficult for us. It's easier to love those who are loving us in return Right? And I'll close with this illustration. A pastor during the American Revolution 
Peter Miller lived in Euphrata, Pennsylvania, enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Euphrata also lived a man by the name of Michael Whitman. And Michael Whitman was an evil-minded sort of kind of guy. And he would oppose and do whatever he could to humiliate Pastor Miller. And so one day, Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. And Reverend Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for Whitman's life. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, he's my bitterest of enemies. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? Well, that puts this whole matter into a different light. I'll grant you the pardon you seek. Miller took Whitman back home to Euphrata. No longer enemies, but now friends. When we love unconditionally, it opens doors to opportunity. Are we willing to love one another undeniably, unselfishly, and unconditionally? If we are, Jesus says this will happen. John thirteen thirty five. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That you are my disciples. Let us all here at Abundant Life be bodybuilders by loving one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you today for this word. And I pray that it would resonate in our hearts. Lord, that we would love each other in the body of Christ just as you had loved us. And that, Father, we would go then and then love others as ourselves. Because, Father, I believe that there is a strategic progression that happens there. Loving you with all of our being. Loving one another as Christ loved us. And then loving others as ourselves. And I believe it has to go in that order, Lord. Otherwise, we just don't know how to truly love others. And so, God, I pray that this body, at this church, Lord, that we would love one another. Lord, with the other churches in town, that we love one another. Because, Lord... If we're all professing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we're teaching the, the teachings from the Bible and we're all believing that Jesus, you are the Son of God and that you're, only way, you're the only way to heaven, then Lord, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter what denominational tag we wear. Lord, if we go to heaven, it's going to fall off. If we go to hell, it's going to burn off. God, I really believe in this moment that Lord, that you are working on the hearts of people. So, Lord, let us, allow us to love one another. Show us how we can do this. And let it be evident in everything that we do. In everything that we do. How we communicate to one another. How we show our love for one another. How it gets translated into the community. So, Lord, I pray that you would use us, your people, to expound and express your love. Thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said... Amen.